This is the Modern Stoicism Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. Joining me on the podcast this week is Michael Mick Patrick Mulroy. Mick is a former United States Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Middle East. He is a retired Central Intelligence Agency paramilitary operations officer and United States Marine. In addition, he is a senior fellow for National Security and Defense Policy at the Middle East Institute, a member of the Board of Directors for Grassroots Reconciliation Group, and an ABC News National Security Analyst. Well, Mick, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast again. Thank, thank you for having me, Adam. So, Mick, um, you have an upcoming article coming out um, that speaks about stoicism in the military. Um, but uh, I think we should start today by backtracking a little bit and, and uh, speaking to a topic that you briefly brought up on the last time you were on the podcast, which is where you spoke about how, um, as a veteran, you were in the uh, Marine Corps. Um, if I'm correct, and you, uh, your first time experiencing Stoicism was when you read um, the Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Now, many of our listeners would likely be, um, how could I call it, surprised to find that philosophy is quite widely used within the military and present in it. Um, so could you just speak to that a little bit and explain to us um, what it's like for philosophy in the military, how does it come about? Where is it used mostly? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it was the Marine Corps, and there's a, a joke that goes with that is how do you know if somebody's a Marine? Because they'll tell you within the first two minutes of meeting them. So, um, <laughs> yes, you're, you're correct. But um, it, it certainly isn't just the Marine Corps that has a propensity for Stoic, especially philosophy. But um, as we talked about last time, my father actually used uh, Greek philosophy as a way to teach ethics. Um, and then when I got to the Marine Corps, uh, the commandant is, is, the, is the Marine in charge of the entire service, and they have what's called the commandant's reading list. And I think Meditations by Marcus Aurelius has probably been on that reading list since, you know, 1775 when, it, when the Marine Corps was founded. And, and that's, you know, part of our discussion last time we talked, uh, I used to really explore that concept because like I've mentioned before, I'm not a philosophy professor. I'm a amateur who's in the process of learning more about philosophy, just like probably many of your listeners. So I took the time to do another paper and really try to uh, look at where philosophy and Stoic philosophy could fit into the military. And then, you know, as a result of the research, I think it actually should be a philosophy that's taught as uh, the philosophy for the military. So why don't we dive deep into that then? Because um, I don't think everybody would immediately think Stoics would make great warriors, but uh, certainly there is this, um, I guess, growing movement within the military to use uh, philosophy like Stoicism as a, as a backbone. So why, what, uh, what, what do you think makes Stoicism a very good option um, for a military philosophy? Is it, is it that it's a good practice? Is it, is it some tenet specifically that you would refer to? Where does that come from? 
Yeah. So, I mean, first, I don't want to give the wrong impression, but I think it's it's solely a philosophy for the military. I think it's, it's a philosophy for everybody. But when it comes to the specifics of it that really, I think, make it um, something that would work and something that would really assist our young men and women that are going into the surface is it's, you know, it's four pillars of wisdom, courage, courage, justice, and then, you know, temperance, because uh, certainly young Marines can use temperance from time to time. But, but uh, in all seriousness, there's so many aspects of it that I think um, would benefit, uh, especially in a time of conflict, this time of war, where being able to control things like anger and fear and having a belief in something much larger than yourself, uh, you know, the whole universal brotherhood or sisterhood concept of stoicism, I think really, um, really is something that, that we should take a look at. You know, there was a book written by a professor of philosophy. Her name's uh, Nancy Sherman. Dr. Sherman wrote uh, The Stoic Warrior. And where that came from, and during this research, I you know, obviously read the book, but the it came from uh, it was a cheating scandal in the U.S. Naval Academy, and the 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 commandant or the president of the academy decided that they should start teaching ethics again. You know, I think that is something that should be taught at every university, not just military university. But he he hired uh, Dr. Sherman, and when she got there, uh, she realized that you know stoicism in particular was something that was a natural. Um, fit for the people that were there. And when she wrote the book, I think now she's at Georgetown, but when she wrote the book, um, she really details in there why she believes that's the case. And one of the things she highlighted was uh, a very famous graduate alumni of the Naval Academy, uh, Admiral James Stockdale. And his real, um, I think, um, how he and it, just to give you a little background on Admiral Stockdale, he was a fighter pilot. And uh, before shipping off to a tour in Vietnam, one of his professors just gave him uh, Epictetus's uh, book. And, you know, he wasn't the philosophy, he wasn't a philosopher, he wasn't really interested in that, but uh, he read it, you know, discourses. And he attributed that as the key to his survival. In fact, in the book that he wrote, uh, Thoughts of a Philosophical Fighter Pilot, he even said that after he got shot out of the sky and was coming to the ground on a parachute, the last thing he said is, I'm entering the world of Epictetus. And he, it's, I mean, uh, it's got awful what he went through. Seven years of confinement, four of it in solitary confinement, two of them both in leg irons. He had his body broken, his legs pulled out, I mean, his arms pulled out of the socket, his legs shattered. Um, but he said that the whole concept of the only thing that really matters is keeping your own honor, um, that they can, you can't control, especially in his situation, what they're doing to you, but you can, can control how you react. And he says, uh, and I've, I've read his books as well, um, and this is the guy, this guy's a naval, uh, he's a Medal of Honor recipient. He's one of the most decorated naval officers in U.S. history. Um, but he talks about how he used it as a leader inside the, inside the prisoner of war camp uh, to keep the spirits of those around him going. And, uh, you know, as I already mentioned, he, it, 
that's saying something for the level of uh, abuse that this guy took. Um, he even says that he got to a point where he couldn't take it anymore. And he actually tried to commit suicide by using shards of glass. Um, but then a very well-known poem to most, I think, Stoics um, was scribbled in the place uh, where they knew he would be returned after he got medical treatment by another prisoner. And that was Invictus. And I think that, that I mean, uh, so many people are familiar with it, you know, the unconquered soul. Uh, but the last lines were always scribbled there. I'm the master of my fate, and I am the captain of my soul. And when um, Admiral Stockdale saw that, uh, he made a promise to himself that he would never again try to kill himself. And I think that kind of that kind of feeling is, I mean, that's an extreme situation. We certainly hope that most of our service men and women don't end up in, uh, as a POW. But it does really go to the whole point of, of why I think this is such a good philosophy for, for our military. So I'd like to speak about uh, the emotions that you speak about for Stock- James Stockdale as well. Um, because I think, uh, and you and I spoke about this before we started recording, I think it's very important that we talk a little bit about one of the things that, that it seems like you feel is, is why this philosophy is, is very good in the military is because it, it does not aim to cover up or ignore or remove the emotions of real life. Um, it aims simply to be able to control them and keep them from controlling yourself, and um, one of the, I think, examples you use revolves around courage and the fact that courage comes from fear. So do you, do you feel like that self-control is what leads to um, philo- this philosophy being so useful in the military? Yeah, I do. And, you, and you're right. I mean, I think there's a wrong impression that stoicism means you're absent or you're void of emotion. And that's, I mean, that's never the way I viewed it. It's more like you put it. Uh, it's the ability to control them. And the three, the three emotions, or the two emotions, and then another concept that I, that I really explored for writing the paper. Uh, the first one was anger. And you know, when you're in a situation where your friends are being injured or killed, um, and you see things that you know you wouldn't, you wouldn't, obviously not ever want to see again. You can get really angry, and that leads to bad decisions. You know, whether it's on the battlefield or whether it's in the boardroom. But you know, we're talking specifically on the battlefield. It leads to bad decisions that could get more men and women killed under your responsibility. And it also leads, and I think this is something you can see throughout history. It leads to most, if not all, of the war crimes um, that we that we've seen throughout history, everybody's history, my country included. You know, from Eli to um, you know, more recent. I mean, even even they just announced today, and I don't know any of the facts, but um, the concern about the Australian forces in Afghanistan. But those, I would I would say, uh, the inability to control one's anger uh, is probably at the at the core of all those horrible decisions. And then the other emotion uh, that you mentioned, and I I totally agree with the premise. You know, without fear, you can't have courage, right? Because if you're, quite frankly, just too dim to understand that you're in danger, then it's really not courage. Uh, so the courage is the overcoming of fear, the over, you know, going beyond that. And 
and, and really, I mean, that, I know everybody would get the idea that uh, a combat soldier, sailor, airman, or Marine um, needs fear uh, to have courage. And that courage has to be there or you're not going to carry out the most dangerous mission. And, and if you have extreme fear without the ability to control it, it causes paralysis. Um, and that courage is something that, quite frankly, you can have the best trained military in the world. You can have the best technology in the world. But if you don't have that individual courage of your, uh, your soldier, um, you could lose uh, to a less effective uh, adversary who simply has that added um, desire to win over their own fear. So that is something I think that stoicism is, I mean, it's one of the main principles, right? Um, and I think it's something that is that added uh, dimension to the military that turns it from just another army to, you know, the most effective fighting force on earth. So another aspect of, <clears throat> so another aspect of the military, which you uh, spoke about earlier in this conversation was this concept of the brotherhood or the sisterhood. And something that I had asked you before we started recording today was um, how I feel that that echoes within Stoicism itself, whereby the general concept of kinship, we as one human family, for example, um, it, that should be kept at the forefront when considering how you're going to work with those around you. So how do you think that concept of brotherhood or sisterhood um, applies and do you think that uh, do you think that 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 it's one of the key reasons why the philosophy can become so intertwined with the military? Yeah, Adam. So let me start just going back to courage, and then I'll then I'll lead, I think, naturally into your question about brotherhood and sisterhood. Um, you know, one of the things that I write about is a is a, an event that happened where two of my very good friends uh, were in combat together. I wasn't with them, but uh, me and several of my fellow uh, paramilitary officers since when I was in the CIA um, had an opportunity to watch the video footage afterwards. Uh, where one one of uh, my friends had gotten to a position to really try to assist during an operations, but um, he was fired upon and, and hit and injured. And uh, even with that, um, kept fighting. And kept calling out where where the direction of the gunfire was coming from, um, really exposing himself, trying to uh, protect the main body of the force. And then another one of my friends, um, trying to get to him, uh, realized that just about every way he went, it was it was uh, almost uh, it was very difficult to get there because of the level of enemy fire. And there's a, there was a point when you could even see him on the video footage have to make a determination of whether he was going to go up and across a roof, um, which would be the only way he would have got to him, um, but of course exposed himself in the process. And it was that decision point that I think everybody that watched it was left with because it was an absolutely pure moment of courage. And he did. And he crawled up on the roof and he ran to uh, my other friend and they fought to the death together, side by side. 
now they're buried in Arlington as their wives both requested side by side. And to us, and I think everybody in the room, most everybody in the room had been, including myself, had been in circumstances like that. But you don't really know whether you would have done that. And and it was one of those points that I think forever inside of my unit, which I mean, all units have these stories, is what you want to think that you would do. And it is definitely what you want as an example to everybody, whether it's a soldier, sailor, airman, marine, or in my case, paramilitary officer, to do under the same circumstances. Because that takes a unit from uh, being okay or mediocre to one that is highly effective and uh and and so that was the example of courage that i used in the paper and then to your other question you know the idea of universal brotherhood and i know it's a different concept for stoicism but in many ways it's the same right so you're part of something much bigger than yourself whether you're a private or a general in the military you're you're in the army or you're in whatever service you're in. And if you have that feeling that you are doing this not for yourself, not for obviously parades and awards and such, but as something much bigger than yourself, that concept, um, and you know, we talked about it earlier uh, before we came on the podcast, it's not just brotherhood, of course, it's sisterhood. Uh, there's, there's an ever-increasing uh, level of um, women in the military and I, I i just talked to a friend of mine who's written two books one called ashley ashley's war on females in special operations and another one that's about to come out called the daughters of kobani which is about the female kurdish fighters which are legendary in and of themselves so if your listeners are listening are interested in, in reading about uh, the sisterhood so to speak uh, of the you know i i would include that all together but that idea that we're that we are we are something uh, much bigger than ourselves, I think, is really plays well into the military and to to people in general, right? I mean, it's it's not just the military that does service; it's it's all sorts of things, whether it's you know, Peace Corps or my country or just volunteering in your community. Um, if you feel like you're son- you're doing something that's bigger than just yourself, I think you will feel better for it than if it was just so there's certainly an aspect to why it is called serving and not simply being in the military, I think. And, and you and I spoke about that. And there's an interesting parallel I wanted to just add on there. So in the world of stoicism, generally, um, people can remember, and I believe it's Marcus Relius who uses this analogy of, of us uh, acting as if we are a, a limb or a hand or a finger. Um, on the general body of humanity, and we are a part of that. And I, and it was interesting to me that I, I thought there was an interesting parallel in how the branches of service are generally called arms of the military. I'm in the in 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 Britain, you might be in the fleet air arm, for example, or um, you know different arms of the military. And that is a that's an analogy that you see overall. And you and I were speaking about this before the podcast. This general sense that um, it's this service aspect. It's this bigger bigger world that uh, you're, you're trying to serve in and be a part of. Um, do you agree with that? I totally agree with that. And I think that's a really apt um, uh, 
interpretation of the use of the term arms, right? It, we, it's it's all, certainly a part of a bigger a bigger group. You know, we have what's called combined arms in the United States. Most modern militaries do that. It's that one part is is essential to the entirety of the military. Um, and that you only work effectively, truly effectively, if you're working together, uh, whether it's air, ground, sea, et cetera. Um, and so that, that, that concept certainly is already exists in the military. And one of the reasons why I think, I mean, to, doc, uh, to the doctor's point in her, in her book, uh, um, The Stoic Warrior, it seems to already be a natural part of the military. I mean, that, that concept of, um, everything we've talked about is already there. I think it's important to actually teach it as the philosophy that exists officially because so much of our military tradition is based on history. The Stoicism is intricately part of Western civilization and our philosophical history. So there's so much to be grounded as you teach young uh, servicemen and women in any, any uh, country about stoicism and and that you know at the end of the day it's your integrity is all that really counts and the only thing that they can't that can't be taken away from you if you look at admiral stockdale's example they can take away everything they can break your body but they can't at the end of the day take away your honor and so that all the way from a pow to doing the right thing when you're um just crazy with anger because your friend was just killed, but not taking it out on civilians in a country. I mean, it runs the gamut. And I think it would really ground our people in in doing what's right, even under circumstances where everything seems wrong. So there's one aspect of the philosophy that actually you and I haven't talked about yet, and we didn't talk about this also prior to... Uh, jumping on the recording. And uh, one of the key virtues for Stoicism is wisdom. And I think um, one of the points that you and I spoke about highlighting was the fact that um, the intent is not to turn soldiers into automatons who cannot think for themselves and never learn anything. Um, and that that was something that definitely, it felt like it resonated with you. Am I right about that? You definitely right about that. The I mean, the modern battlefield now requires um, leadership at the lowest levels. You know, it used to be called the strategic corporal. Uh, the concept was, and what it meant is, you know, you're going to be making decisions that could have a strategic impact on the outcome of a conflict uh, at a level, uh, you know, where the person, you know, like so my son's a sergeant uh, in the Marine Corps. Uh, he's 26. Right, so a very young person um, can have a very uh, impactful, uh, positive or negative, on the way a conflict goes. So, uh, to your point, uh, wisdom. You know, wisdom. The way I define it is somebody who doesn't just isn't just smart. It's somebody who actually seeks knowledge in in and wants to improve constantly. Um, it's not somebody who just wrote memorizes uh, statistics. So the idea of a soldier uh, on the modern battlefield wanting to learn more about their trade, and their trade now includes all different aspects. It's not just being able to shoot straight or fight hard. It's technology. The technology today is advancing so fast um, that 
they have to be able to keep up with it. They have to be able to understand what, where it's going, and they have to be able to understand how they can take the current technology and apply it uh, to what they're doing. And that's, you know, that's technical wisdom. And then, of course, just wanting to know more about the world we live in, because so much of what we do in conflict now is what's called a counterinsurgency effort. And that is, that is much more based on the population uh, and making sure that you don't do anything as a military to inflame a situation and, and, and turn the population against you. And in order to do that, you have to have a really good knowledge of the population, uh, who they are, what's important to them, their their culture, and that that all requires uh, wisdom. So I guess the last major topic to speak on that I think is important um, within Stoic practice it's not expo it's not expounded as a specific virtue, but it's certainly in the practice is this practice of reflection on uh, what's been happening. And um, one of the reasons why I was so excited to get you on the podcast in November was because November in the, definitely in the Commonwealth countries, but I know in many countries around the world, including yours, um, is a month of remembrance. November 11th being Remembrance Day here in Europe is generally called Armistice Armistice Day or Remembrance Day as well. And certainly uh, reflection and remembrance of the um, service and sacrifice of many people in history um, comes to the forefront of our minds throughout that. So why do you think that it's so important, um, to reflect and remember these major moments in time, um, even though they are times of severe strife and war, why do you think it's so important to remember the actions of, uh, people who have served? Uh, I would, so I would include services beyond just the military. Um, and this, I know this, you know, we're talking about the military in here, and certainly they are, they are where we hub our remembrance when it comes to those who've sacrificed. Because, I mean, in most all democracies, it's a vol- they're mostly volunteer forces, right? So they're, they've decided to volunteer for their country uh, and, if necessary, lay down their lives. And I think that's, that's really why most of us, if not all of us, want to honor their service. It's not whether the war was correct or whether it was the political decisions were the right ones. It's about whether uh, we respect people who are willing to to actually uh, die for their country and the values that their country represents. So I think you know certainly that is something that uh, is part uh, of the military, a huge part, um, and I think that's exhibited in many countries. I hope we we also take that for the for other service, you know, people who travel on the world doing charity work uh, for other people who put their right lives at risk or, or medical. I mean, think about during the pandemic, all of the medical professionals who risked their lives over and over again to help, uh, you know, those that are infected with this disease. I think uh, to a certain extent, um, we should be honoring everybody. But uh, I think uh, I think November is one of those months we have, we call it Veterans Day. Um, where the whole country, regardless of your political philosophy or background, come together to pay tribute to those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Well, Mick, um, I think that's probably a good spot for us to wrap up before we dive too deep. Uh, Do you think there's anything else that we should uh, speak about in today's episode? 
No, I think you you covered it. I just just it's you know like I said mentioned up front. I'm not a philosophy professor. I'm kind of learning it as I go, and I'm talking to you about it, and that's really been been helpful for me to to learn more about the philosophy I choose to follow. But thank you for giving me the opportunity, and I hope we can do it again. Of course, I'm always happy to have you on. Thank you. I'd like to thank Mick Mulroy for being on the podcast this week. Mick is also on the board of directors at the Grassroots Reconciliation Group, an award-winning nonprofit that works to rehabilitate children that have been forced to fight in the Lord's Resistance Army in East Africa. He is also the co-founder of the Lobo Institute, a group that studies conflicts and how to end them, and the co-founder of the charity End Child Soldiering that seeks to help rehabilitate former child soldiers worldwide. Thanks for listening to the Modern Stoicism podcast this week. If you'd like to learn more, head over to modernstoicism.com where you can find articles, courses, our Patreon, and other resources. You've been listening to the Modern Stoicism podcast, the official podcast of modernstoicism.com. Check out all of our episodes at modernstoicismpodcast.buzzsprout.com. And if you like this content, consider rating us or giving us a thumbs up on your podcast platform of choice. You can also find us on Patreon, where patrons get access to exclusive digital content. All music provided by bensound.com.